Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And we don't have a guest this week, which makes me sad. Even though I pimp our show to every minister I see. I'm kind of uncomfortable with the use of use of the the verb pimp in that situation, yeah, but that's what I'm doing. Okay. She's for sale. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so it's gross. just Peter. And, <laughs> it's just Peter and I today, and so that's what you get. I was not at the lectionary group discussion that fuels our show yesterday, but Peter was, and so he should be able to offer the insight that they gleaned from there. I am, however, preaching the verses that we're going to be talking about today. You are too, correct? Uh, I've used these verses for my devotional yesterday evening at, uh, at my church for our Wednesday night meal, but I am still on my Old Testament kick. So. Okay. And I mean, I am I am going chapter by chapter through Genesis right now. Good for you. Good for you. And on a Sunday morning. On a Sunday See, that's morning. That's what I generally do in Bible studies. I'm flipping the script. I'm doing the gospel in my devotional on Wednesdays and my Old Testament lesson on on Sundays. One Sunday, or no, one summer, I did um, Wednesdays on Sunday, like my my mm. for like a month it was like my theme. Yeah. And so I would do the Sunday morning worship service like I normally do the Wednesday night Bible study. Hmm. And as I should have predicted, the people that come on Wednesday night loved it and everybody else hated it. So there's your flip the script warning from my experience. Yeah. The verses I've alluded to but not mentioned are Luke 10, 1 through 11, and 16 through 20. They're fairly commonly used verses, and so you've probably heard at least parts of them. I doubt most people have read all of them. Some Maybe. people call this passage the sending of the 70. And I just generally think it's got a lot of wisdom packed in uh, to a very short passage. And I think you are going to be breaking this up as you as you preach. Is that I right? I am, because I, I agree with you. There's a lot of wisdom and not enough to cover in a 14 to 35-minute sermon. The way our services go, this is not really a complaint. I've kind of started to dig it. I used to hate it. But I'm not sure how much time I have to preach every Sunday. It just depends on how many songs were sung. Uh, When Ray was with us, it was how long he spoke for Christ in the community. He didn't even know when he got up. And so sometimes I'd preach. We love you, Ray. Oh, yeah, we do. He knows that. Um, He needs to come back on the show, actually. That would be good. So sometimes I get up and it's like, oh, you have about 15 minutes left, which is good because that's about the average time, um, attention span. Mm. But actually, it's a little bit less than that. It's about 12 minutes. But sometimes I get up and it's like, oh, there's 40 minutes left in this service. And we're on the radio, so we can't give them dead air. So pack a lunch, folks. You better have it's something to say. Court Green coming at you. So and hopefully I do all right with that. I preached my first 40 minute sermon the other day. Really? I. There was a half a can of Red Bull just sitting in my car in between church services, and mm-hmm. I decided it would be a good idea to drink it. And so Long's United Methodist Church got a really impassioned 40-minute sermon. <laughs> and you crashed? Uh, uh, it was, that was your second sermon. That was my second sermon. And uh, so I don't think they expected that. I didn't expect that, but that's what happened. Well, and So don't drink and preach, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that Red Bull. Anyway, so yeah, I will be breaking it up. I think that um, and we need to take a minute to talk about one 
temptation that I think leads some astray when we talk about these verses. And that is the temptation to lift it straight out of the Bible and just lay it down in our world. Mm. Because there's a few things that we need to know. I don't think it's as detrimental to do that with these verses as it is with some, but we can miss some things that way. Um, But remember, this is the church doesn't exist yet. So they're tasked with essentially taking, and this probably translates better into our world than we, than what we actually try to do with these verses. They're taking a new way of doing the religion that already exists to people who have some established religion, Judaism, already. And that is risky, but if you think about our world and what the church has been through over the past few years you have to be blind to not see that the church of tomorrow is going to look very different Mm -hmm. if the church is to survive and so this is where a lot of us find ourselves but the danger is to say oh as missions i know missions and then just take it and plop it down in our world and say all right this is about taking christ crucified to the pagans out there and the and the sinners well, that's not what it is. Hmm. It's just taking it's taking new ideas, a new way of of following God to people who think that they are the be all end all when it comes to following God, mm-hmm. which is the church. Yeah, which if we if we look at it for what's there instead of trying to put our ideas into it, it helps us much more. It's more accurate to today than what we have done with it over time. Hmm. Well, let's hear it, and then we'll get into the the context and uh, see where we go with it. And hopefully I can do better at reading than I did last time. Luke 10, 1 through 11, and 16 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore... Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say first, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Thus ends the reading. And by the way, that was from the New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition, or what is it you call it? The NRS View. Yeah, and I just call it the Nurse, Nurse View. View. Yeah. So, wait a second. So, Vanderbilt is doing the NRS View now, too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They updated? Good. Yeah. All right, great. Well, uh, I think so. Anyway, we're grateful for Vanderbilt.edu. Yeah, we are. <laughs> for the yeah. lectionary. I, I, I have had to change my mind on them. I hated them when they rejected me for PhD work, but oh. um, I got over it. They were one of five programs in the world or schools in the world that offered the the thing that I wanted to study so it was a it was an uphill battle anyway uh, Jim McConnell friend of the show said well it's not that you're dumb court it's that you're applying for something that's like you know needle in the haystack odds and I was like well that's what I want to do anyway I'm done whining what did you get your PhD in? I didn't oh because I couldn't get in anywhere I thought you're a doctor I am it's a D-man oh D-man yeah. okay Got it. Well, there's making always... Me, making me feel small. There's always later. No, there's not. 41 with a baby. Okay. You've got other priorities right I now. I have other priorities. Maybe when I'm yeah, I mean, 50 with a nine-year-old. Do you want to be called Dr. Doctor? I mean, you already got one doctorate. Oh, I would be called Dr. Doctor, Dr. Infinity. <laughs> I, would, I would stay in school forever if Christy would let me. All right. So, um, me complaining about my life aside, I have a pretty good life. So, I'm curious how you are planning to divide this. Well, I can get that out of my notes if you'll take up the empty air time. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. We, we talked about this passage in lectionary group yesterday, and we have been benefited by the presence of some Duke Divinity interns, and they are, you know, giving us new insight. And I thought that this passage was really speaking to me even though it's not one that I plan to preach on this Sunday because I have had many moments in my life and I've seen this in our interns experiences as well that uh, in, in which it feels like I well in which I feel like I'm not prepared for what whatever I'm being called to whatever I'm being asked to go do mm -hmm. it could be you know somebody in my church is going to the hospital and I, I will get in the car and I will throw my, I will, well, I will pack my backpack and I'll put a Bible in there and I'll put a book of worship in there. And I'll put a journal in there and then think, well, maybe should I bring, bring the book of common prayer and, and what, you know, we don't have all those books. Do it I, it easy Bible done. Do I need a phone charger? Like, I, you know, all of these things that, you know, I just start to think, and I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, but, I start to worry, am I prepared for this? Do I have what I need? And, and on several occasions, I have missed the moment, whether it's somebody has actually died mm -hmm. before I was able to get to them in the hospital, or um, I was supposed to say a prayer over somebody or, or something, and the moment had passed by the time I got there. And this, this, these words from Jesus, I feel like, are freeing for me. And maybe freeing for you, too. I'm not sure. When he sends these 70 out and says, Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say peace to this house. 
And if anyone is there who shares in peace, peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. I don't know. I take that verse, that set of verses to mean we have what we need already. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus sends us because we're already prepared. Well, first, I agree with all that. Second, I'll answer your question. I'm going to take the the first couple verses about the harvest being plentiful, Mm -hmm. then preparation or lack thereof. Then what does it mean to bring peace to a house? Mm -hmm. And then we'll skip a few and go down into the 20s. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, on that note, talking about what you were just talking about, about am I prepared? Do I have this book, that book, car charger, all these other things? I do the same thing, even though Baptists don't have all those books. I do the same thing, but it's a psychological confidence thing. Hmm. Am I good enough for the moment? Hmm. What am I heading into? Do I have the words? Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I do that to myself because half the time I'll come up with a speech, forget it, and just say something else and it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, am I going to let the Spirit guide me or not? I right. guess the reason I do that is because what's the point in having all this education and, and saying I'm the guy for the job if, if just anyone can do it because anyone can be led for the Spirit? Hmm. But that doesn't mean that the that's the person God's chosen in that moment. Well, and I think we, I think, I don't want to, I, I think I'm, I don't want to say that anyone can just show up and do what's needed. Yeah. But in terms of preparation, I, I think this scripture is inviting me to think about how maybe everything that we've gone through in our lives, all of the schooling that we've had, even if we're not like refreshing our memory uh, on all of that before every single um, ministry opportunity, that has prepared us and cre- and turned us into the people that we need to be to meet the present moment. Not only that, but but doing it, yeah, and knowing that this is not your first rodeo yeah. may do nothing for you, right. but it does for the people to which you minister. Right. Yeah, these disciples. My assumption is, you know, he these 70, uh, yeah, appointed 70, I guess it doesn't use the word disciples here, but these are people who I believe were following Jesus, and he sends them out two by two. So first of all, he's not sending them out alone. Mm-hmm. And there is a way in which we support one another when we feel these, this sense of, like, not being enough. And we can do the work together easier. We bear one another's burdens, to quote the lectionary passage from Galatians this week and also these are people who have been in community with Jesus it's not like it's not couch to 5k this is like they've been with Jesus they've been studying scripture together they've been Mm -hmm. watching him perform miracle miracles so they are prepared in ways that maybe they don't even know just by the way that they've been living. And I think that's kind of the invitation I'm hearing is that our preparation is a way of life and that enables us to respond when the call to go out comes to us. Yeah. So I'm going to take this a weird direction. Take it. When I was a, after my sophomore year in college, no, after my freshman year in college, I was a summer missionary, which is kind of like our interns, Mm -hmm. with the North American Mission Board, which for you old school Baptists used to be the home mission board. And they sent me to Baltimore, and they they sent me there to do stuff with kids. But when I got there, 
they were like, oh yeah, we, we're building a church. You're doing that. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't have any construction experience, but sure, why not? But anyway, one of the verses in, in this pericope we read today says, 10.8, whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Hmm. So we were staying in various houses with different people, not like the Duke intern. And one of the things that they were supposed to do is they were supposed to feed us. And our job, this this verse was read to us over and over again. Whatever they sit in front of you, you eat it. Hmm. So the first night, um, for the first three nights, I was, and I moved from house to house the whole time until I got with this one group and I really liked them. I stayed the rest of the summer with them because they like me too. Anyway, um, so the first night, I was with the pastor and his wife, and she makes some kind of rice and tuna stuff, and I cannot do tuna. I hate it. <laughs> but I remembered this verse, and I, I, and I was like, tuna, oh, though. my gosh. <laughs> now, if it's like, you know, high-dollar tuna that's like steaks and, and grilled and stuff, that's one thing. But it is, it's, you know, the canned can't stuff, do. can't do it. So. This is the I smell it, I know what's coming, and I just repeat these verses to myself over and over again. Yeah. And I sit down, and I eat every speck on that plate. Wow. And then I proceed to puke everywhere. In the she house? she was so offended. She was, she was like, why didn't you just tell me and not eat it? I was like, that's I wasn't supposed to. They said evil was supposed to be Anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was a nightmare. And she, she didn't forgive me for it, man. She, oh she couldn't God. stand me after that. Oh, my God. First night. But, yeah, know. yeah, there definitely have to be some boundaries there because, like, we, I feel like Jesus definitely calls us to honesty, and sometimes, you know, what's when it when what's put before us will make us sick. Yeah, like, I just yeah, that's a that's a that's a line. Yeah, she didn't like me, but um, I, I'm I, sorry that happened. When to I you. had people send me cheer wine because they don't have it up there, yeah, I shared one with her. I think that. May maybe smooth things. Out. She's probably <laughs> dead now. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that was my fun little experience there. Yeah. Well, so um, we my my dietary preferences. This is an interesting direction we're going, and I feel like I should participate. Yeah, jump in, man. My dietary preferences are something that have come up in the show in the past, and uh, lately the way I'm explaining it is with a term that once I when I heard it first, I laughed off. Uh, which is the word freegan. Ah, uh, yeah. Dumpster diving. Dumpster diving, yeah. yeah. Is what people think of with freegan. And I'm trying to redefine this term, So, but, but for me, what this means is that I am uh, trying to eat mostly a vegan diet, especially when I am procuring my own food. When I go to the grocery store, I'm not buying steaks. I'm not buying um, milk or cheese or anything like that. I'm buying ingredients that will help me make a, a vegan uh, meal at home. But I still feel like there is, there's, there's two caveats for me for going full vegan. Mm -hmm. One is relational and one has to do, well, actually they're both relational depending on how you think of it. But one has to do with people, one has to do with animals. Uh, in terms of people, I feel like there is, like, especially as a pastor, but it, as, as any person who is going to be a guest, like we have these disciples are, are, are being guests in this situation, I believe that there is, some, uh, there is some bond that is formed when you welcome and receive and with gratitude what is offered to you. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of parishioners who um, 
you know, have a wide range of diets and they have different understandings about what the pastor might want to eat. And, uh, and also friends too. And I personally have the privilege of not having any food allergies. So when I go into someone's house, and, and they offer me something that I wouldn't buy for myself at the grocery store, I still eat it. Yeah. And 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 I enjoy it, too. Well, that's just a case of, of hospitality going both ways. Right. Because you have to welcome someone in, but you have to welcome someone to welcome you. Yes. And I think as Christians, this is a whole other topic we could spin off into at some point if we wanted to. We're going to have to get to the original topic around. Yes. Eventually. Uh, we could... So hospitality is, I think, a, a way that a lot of people think about their Christian practice. But I think we do need to spend time thinking about what it means to be a guest as mm-hmm. well. Because oftentimes Christians uh, or Americans in general forget that like we are not in a place that belongs to us. Yeah. And if we are guests here, that involves a different kind of response to the place that we're in. This, are you are you working your way to your relationship with the animals? Uh, let's do that. <laughs> you meant the earth when you were talking about us being yes guests exactly yeah. exactly. So uh, and as far as animals go, I, I just I think that the value of animal life is very much underestimated and debased in this country. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of resources to raise an animal that will be slaughtered for meat, whether that's a cow, pig, chicken, whatever. A lot of water, a lot of food. And we can we can definitely get into the details on like what humane ways of raising animals are. But at the end of the day, if an animal is raised and slaughtered and brought to market and that is processed and put into some kind of meal, and then that food goes to waste. I, I feel a, like it's a disrespect to that animal. Um, and it's a disrespect to the entire nutrient chain that went into that animal that is being thrown away. And so in situations where there's n- literally nowhere else for this food to go, if it's meat, I will go ahead and eat it or take it home with me. Or try, and then try to feed it to someone else or myself. Mm-hmm. Only if I would actually eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not if it's going, not if it's going bad. But I try to prevent food waste. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm not. I don't take it to the extremes that some do, because there's four of us, and there's just we're all picky. Well, one of us is still on the bottle, but the rest of us are all picky. And so, but like, if Gideon's gonna waste something, oh, I can't eat anymore then even though I'm insane about my diet, mm-hmm. like last night, we go to Rockies, which... Rockies hot chicken. I, I, I'm not a huge fan. But <laughs> anyway, and I like spice, but I just don't like a lot of fried stuff. Anyway, we, we went there, and I ate my food, and then getting any, any of his fries. I don't even like fries. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not about to throw them away and waste them. So between Christy and I, we got it. So, I mean, and there's like a... There's different levels. Yes. I would certainly not call myself a freaking. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not judging them. Um, it, it's it's actually a very something more people should look into in our time of inflation. Hmm. Um, but when I first heard it, yeah, it was um, Kevin, uh, the former youth pastor here. Shout out to Kevin. Yeah, was telling me about it, and he said, uh, he said. It just means you're cheap. <laughs> it just means you're cheap. Well, I, yeah, I live cheap. I try to live cheap anyway. Uh, I draw the line, though. Uh, I, I had to exclude 
fries and other cheap carbohydrates from this because yeah. otherwise, I mean, I, I mean, I'm gonna tell you that's. We're, we're I mean, fries are delicious, but I uh, don't get me wrong. But if I ate everybody's leftover fries, like yeah. it would be a mess. So well, our society has given ourselves diabetes at an insane level, and it's because of carbohydrates. You got to watch it, man. What? Yeah, and and refined sugar. Well, yeah, but especially from corn. A carbohydrate is just a a, a not yet sugar. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Anyway. All right, so we're talking about these disciples. We're talking about being prepared. Um, I since since you're preaching on this first passage, I do want to hear kind of where you're going with this concept of the harvest being plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm going to start with this the first verse. Hmm. He's sending them to every town, but he's not just sending them so he doesn't have to. Hmm. And he's not sending them alone. He is planning to go behind them. Yeah. So whatever work they're doing, it's not the final word. Yeah. And this is something that I think a lot of people, especially when we take this and, and try to make it into, you know, we, we got to be Billy Graham. Hmm. We forget that when he sends them out, he's going to go do cleanup. He's going to, he's going to. They're preparing the ground. And yes, back exactly. To, to plant so or harvest we just have things. to give it our best effort. The yeah. final results are not on us. And I just, I don't want to say crucify, but I, I put too much on myself. If the results aren't happening, I'm doing something wrong. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? I, and it, I think a lot of Christians do to the point that they don't even take the first steps mm. in whatever it is that God's calling them to do. Because if they can't see how it will yield immediate results and they leave out the part, part where it's, it's, it's on Jesus in this story to provide the results. They just have to provide the willingness mm-hmm. and the effort and the obedience. Then we, we just... Sometimes we don't even try, or sometimes we try and we beat ourselves up. And it can lead to us being in a bad place, all because we, I don't think we forget it. I just don't even think we ever take it in at all. Mm-hmm. It's such an innocuous sentence, where he, or not even a sentence, a half sentence, where he himself intended to go. But it means so much. It does. And, man, you're preaching there. I, I think I have been there over and over and over again where I'm seeing, like, this isn't resulting in anything. Yeah. This isn't accomplishing anything. Am I a failure? It's this hype cycle. I don't know if you heard of this hype cycle. It's like anytime there's a new thing, it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, this sucks. And then the third, the third uh, position in the hype cycle is, oh my gosh, I suck. Yeah. Because it's like because maybe, I couldn't make this amazing. Yes. And then it's like, uh, maybe this is okay, but not as much as not as cool as I thought it was. And then it's the last stop is. Oh, maybe I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, far too often, we just get at number three, and we don't go any further. Yeah. We don't get to... I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a crime. Yeah. Well, it's not a crime. Well, you're, pre- you're preaching to me, and I think this is really important. Jesus is following after them. They, he's sending them out. They're, they're on their internship. They're, they're willing to go. Yes. They're willing to eat it, even if it makes them puke. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, so I have a very tangible story about this f- f- this harvest is plentiful but laborers are few and it it doesn't it doesn't really li- lend to the metaphor at all it is literally about harvesting and laborers mm-hmm. but to me it spoke to me this week so last year 
we had the the flood on August 17th, 2021. And there was a lot of destruction. A lot of people were displaced from their homes. And I noticed down in Crusoe that one of the groups that uh, was particularly uh, uh, impacted by the flood was our migrant community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spanish speaking, I'm not sure if what nationality people are there may be it's probably a mix yeah. maybe american citizens who just travel that's just their lifestyle or their kids are american citizens or maybe be guatemalan honduran mexican whatever um but uh they they come and they stay in crusoe and they work in the tomato and the pepper fields and they were severely impacted by the flood because they oftentimes were in homes that were flooded did not feel comfortable going to emergency shelter provided by the county with all of the government folks around there. And so we're staying in these flooded homes. Some of them, a lot of them not eligible for FEMA assistance because they're not citizens. And finally, well, not finally, they lost the harvest. Mm -hmm. So that's a big paycheck they were expecting that they didn't get to participate in. And well, they're also losing purpose. We're still here living in our flooded out homes but we no longer have a reason to be here. Right. Yeah. And finally, the aid groups, a lot of them didn't have Spanish speakers. So, like, they were just cut off in so many ways. We held two uh, Latinx resource fairs at my church in Crusoe, mm -hmm. and we were able to get in contact with a lot of these families and help them out as much as we could. And then, you know, little by little, they started to leave town. Migrant workers tend to migrate. Exactly, and there, you know, this the, there's a there's a cycle that I'm learning about where this is one stop, and then the next stop is uh, apple fields in Hendersonville mm -hmm. area, and then at some point back to Florida to work tomatoes and peppers over the winter, and then back up here. But I honestly thought I was never going to see these people again because the the living situation, the living conditions that they were in here, all of those trailers got flooded probably haven't been replaced yet and i had no idea whether the farms would be ready well they're they're going they're going so yesterday at my church little old crusoe united methodist church that used to be serving seven meals seven meals a week uh right after the flood and is now only serving one meal a week on wednesday night lo and behold here come these neighbors that i had met by name last year Yep. Uh, and they came to my church and they said, oh, there's food. Like, we'll take it to go. And I said, you don't have to take it to go. Come sit down, eat with us. Mm -hmm. And they did. And my heart was just filled with joy, like to see these neighbors again that I thought I was not going to um, see again. These are the harvesters. These are the workers in the fields that, you know, we, we, we know that this is a this is a kind of life that is very uh, transient and um, can be uh you know, so many different variables can affect. It's very unpredictable. Yeah, where they're going to be or when. And or I, for how long. Exactly. And I was just grateful. Here they are. God has sent the heart, the laborers back to us. And, and to have them as neighbors in my church is just a real blessing. So breaking down that story with these verses. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about how it's not on us to deliver the results. Yeah, they left. Mm -hmm. You didn't know where they went. You didn't know if they would ever come back. Mm. And... If we don't have the place where he himself intended to go, then you may could say, oh, I'm a failure. But then you have that. And I think God puts these in our lives to keep us going. Hmm. But you have the, the, the moment 
where the the gleeful moment where you get to see them again. Yeah. But then if you stop and think, you know, what did I do to make an impact? Was it some program? No. It may have just been the fact that she speaks Spanish. Yeah. When so many people and organizations around here don't. Mm-hmm. And so they, that itself, that you cared enough to see them mm. and address them in their heart language, seems simple, but that could have made a tremendous impact. We just don't know. Right. And my ability to speak Spanish flow out, flowed out of my Peace Corps experience, mm-hmm. which I thought was a total failure because I didn't accomplish any that projects. That took way more than one year. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this, I think, is a, actually a good way for us to transition to a little bit later in the passage and just hit on one point that uh, my intern Scotty brought up last uh, yesterday in lectionary group, which is that as Christians, when we read scripture, we ought to pause to consider where is it appropriate for us to read ourselves into scripture. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we should try to read ourselves into scripture in a few different ways. So as many of us reading this passage will naturally go to, oh, Jesus is sending me as a disciple uh, into communities that may choose to accept or reject what I have to say. And there's plenty of wisdom to be gained from what he says about that here. We also could consider how we may be the communities that these disciples are coming to. Are we the kind of people who, when they say peace to us, we respond with peace? We welcome them in, we offer them something to eat, or are we not? And there's something I think to be learned here about what does it look like to be a a kind of community that is receptive to what Jesus Christ is doing in the world today, the new thing that Jesus is doing today. My question is, it's not actually my question, but as I'm channeling a person challenged with this idea for the first time, there's a, there's a chance that they might be offended. Are you saying that I'm, you know, some horrible sinner in need of salvation? Well, who are you to say that? And I think that it, that's not that it, again is us making this just about Billy Graham style evangelism. Mm. Uh, because a new thing is not necessarily quote unquote the message of salvation. Mm-hmm. A new thing, or even good news, the gospel could just be God saying, well, I'm doing this now, and I want you to join me. Yes. And you've missed it, but I'm giving you another reminder. Mm -hmm. And so a a little bit of humility has to go in this. Yeah, I think this ties back well to the point that you were making at the beginning uh, about how this, this group of people that the disciples were being sent to is likely Jewish people. Yeah. They are Jewish people themselves. Mm -hmm. They are following a Jewish teacher and they are not yet saying anything about a new religion exactly and 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 so in in america today i I think that you know even if this might rub people the wrong way or feel somewhat offensive i think i i'm ready to say that the christian the protestant christian church uh, american christianity the protestant christian church in america is the missionary field mm-hmm. uh, in, in so many ways. I'm glad you said that because I was looking for a way to tie this in. So my, well, really my demon and my MDiv are in missiology, the mm. study of missions. 
your, your doctor at work, you decide what you want to work on. And if someone says, okay, then that's what you work on. And my interests are already in missions. So that's why that went that way. Um, but in, in the course of those two degrees, I was studying missions around the world. Mm-hmm. One of the most fascinating things that I saw is that American churches, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but we get together and we're like, oh, we got to pray for the church in China because it's, you know, it's oppressed. And we got to pray for the church in, in, in these Asian countries where it's struggling. And maybe so. But the church in, for instance, South Korea. Now, South Korea has its problems. But it's thriving. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that they don't do church there the way we do it here. They've kind of got a back to the basics mentality. And the church in China, where it is oppressed, is thriving Hmm. because they aren't the only thing in town like we have been for so long. Mm -hmm. And they never got lazy. Offense intended. Um, Like we have, and I include myself, where we're like, well, they know where we are, they'll come. Hmm. And so... The, what, the thing that, that's not the thing that fascinated me though the thing that fascinates me grew out of that and that is that we are sitting here praying for them and saying oh we need to send a missionary to this and that country and we need to find someone that teaches English as a second language so we can sneak them under the radar and you know, top secret missionary spy and that does happen and I'm sure they're doing good work but they are sending missionaries to the United States. Yeah, the church in Asia is has said, okay, that's the mission field. And so Latin, they recognize and Latin that, America too. Yeah, they recognized it a long time before we did. And I think that uh, there was a seed planted in my head when I was a teenager, and I heard a friend of mine talking about the missionary couple that their church was hosting from Chile. Yeah, and I was like, you're hosting a missionary couple. And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> Cause, it's because not we, a bad question. you got to learn. Yeah. We, we, I think in, in American Christianity, we grow up thinking that like we are the city on the hill and all we do is send. We send. Send, yeah. send, send, send. It, that's an empirical mindset. Yeah. And, and, and what's happening in global Christianity is that, and I think the reality that Jesus can be pointing us to with this scripture is that there is no, there is no, one solitary sending church or country yeah that uh, we that the body of Christ is constantly ministering to itself from all places and all corners I was at Fort Caswell which was a Civil War fort and then a World War II fort and then the United States sold it to the Baptist Association that's where I met my bride really yeah well so you know it um and I don't remember why I was there. I was a youth pastor, and I think I know, I know why. So we went and rented some places to do a fall retreat, mm-hmm. and I took them there. I didn't like the programming that Fort Caswell offered, but I loved the place. And so I was like, well, I can control the subject matter, and we can still have the beautiful place. So that we did that. And the, the kids were all having their free time, and I went and kind of went off on my own. And I stumbled upon this group of korean south korean missionaries and they were all praying together and they got done and i was you know speaking with them and i said oh you're missionaries that's great so where are you going and they were like you know gastonia mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um you know south carolina mm-hmm. 
and that's that's when it hit me mm. and that's when i started asking questions that's how i discovered yeah you know i think the next stage in missions uh is is to it like that i that i'm excited about and that i want to be a part of is training uh is training american citizens who have bo- who are born and raised in this country to to acknowledge and embrace the mission field here in the united states yeah. And embrace the the fact that the church may be the mission field yeah. that we have to go to, and it may require building a new church. And I say this not in, in exasperation, but in excitement, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. But uh, for instance, I preached over and over again, and still do, but for a while was very intentional about talking to the church here, and it's not just here. I also did it at my last church and the church before that mm-hmm. about you know we drive past our church's neighbors mm-hmm. and don't know any of them mm-hmm. every now and then i'd stop like a deacon just when i was feeling froggy and i, I would stop a deacon and say hey what's the guy's name across the street <laughs> you don't know oh it's it's you know, i'm not going to say his name i know his name but i'll just call him tom it, it, it's tom you know <laughs> go meet tom they don't ever do it but um anyway and we're, we're just so used to that. We can't know our neighbor. We can't love our neighbors without knowing our neighbors. And, and, they, and that, that gets me to another thing that often happens is I'll say, hey, invite your friends. And they'll say, they, go all, to, they all go to church. Well, what's my response? Hmm. Make new friends. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't say make new. Make more. Make more friends. friends. Yeah. And it, we, we all get set in our ways. And I don't mean just old, older people. Yeah. Um, we, we do have some really... I'm excited about this too. There's some. There's a group of young women in our church that are really trying to go get it, mm. and I'm proud of them. But there are younger people that say the same thing. Mm. Well, I have my friends. That's an established group, and and they all go to church. Mm-hmm. Make more friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, being about the work of of ministry in. Um, must come with and and I and I fail at this over and over again this uh it must come with this energy and this excitement and this anticipation of what God is up to in my community that I might not know about it's something that my friend refers to as holy FOMO fear Fear of missing missing out out. yes uh that this this sense that I think a lot of Christians don't have lack right now that God is up to something and is out there working and I have no idea what God is doing. Yeah. I, I think that may stem from Darbyism hmm. and dispensationalism hmm. in, in the book of Revelation and all. Because I think for a lot of Christians, there's just, and I don't mean just here, but we're just frozen hmm. in this, well, God did and eventually Jesus will come back and God will do. Yes. But God never stopped doing Right. I, before we go down another crazy path, which I'm very much enjoying today, yes, I, I want to ask you to credit your friend because I love Holy FOMO, and I think that deserves credit. This is uh, something that I have uh, quoted from J.B. Birch. He is a friend of mine up in the Boone area who has spent nine years of his life living in a trailer park because he asked himself after he graduated college, what's, what would Jesus, which neighborhood would Jesus live in, mm-hmm. in Boone? 
and over that nine years has developed uh, a um, youth ministry uh, called Boys Night, mm -hmm. and they do just a lot of fun stuff, but it also has uh, become a Bible study too, and he's trying to shape disciples, train yeah. disciples, and make disciples in that space, and, um, and I think is driven by a curiosity about what God is doing in the places that we don't pay much attention to. Well, JB, good job. It's a wonderful phrase. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal it. If you listen to this podcast, let me know if I have permission. I already used it in one of my sermons too, so yeah. I think you'd be happy to share. Do we want to get back to the verses? I think we've hopped around everything. but I feel like we're going to have to come back to this again in maybe while you're talking about the later verses in your uh, sermon series. Maybe so. Okay. So we might have to take some pages out of the, our usual, well, skip some pages in our usual playbook and and stick Circle here back. instead of just following the lectionary all the way through. But that'll be fine. All right. Anything else? For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And we appreciate you giving us your time. Peace. Peace.